Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Everybody and welcome to that cozy little corner of cyberspace we call the Sunday Night Sandlot. Brought to you by SoCalledFantasyExperts.com. I'm your host Buck Davidson, and I would like to welcome you aboard for what we hope will be an entertaining and informative 60 minutes of fantasy baseball news and analysis. Spring training is in the history books. As we are recording this show, we are literally minutes away from the start of the 2015 baseball season, which, of course, means that it is time for that six-month odyssey known as fantasy baseball. Now is when you begin to learn whether those draft day gambles will pay off or if your sleepers will remain in fitful slumber and send you back to the drawing board, a.k.a. the waiver wire. If you were not already fired up to listen to the show tonight, we have some breaking news. Just a few minutes before we started taping the show tonight, a major trade involving one of the game's best relief pitchers happened. Of course, we will be breaking down the fantasy implications, and there are a lot of them, of that blockbuster deal in just a few minutes. Also on the show tonight, we are going to welcome a very special guest into the Cyber Studio, none other than the all-in kid, Mr. Jake Seeley, of Roto Experts and Fantasy Sports Network will be joining us a little later on. We are going to be discussing some of the big news from Spring Training 2015, take a look at some players whose value is on the rise, and some others who had a spring they would probably just as soon forget. And I am just willing to go all in that uh, Jake will be anxious to weigh in on the various aspects of that aforementioned blockbuster trade. All this in the name of helping you to make your fantasy team all that much better. That sound like a good time to you? Then pull up a chair and let's talk some baseball. It is time to introduce my counterpart here in the Cyber Studio. He is the co-founder of SoCalledFantasyExperts.com, a veteran of the fantasy sports industry, and has been playing fantasy baseball for over 20 years. He's currently in charge of aggregation efforts at the Fantasy Sports Network and represents them in the Labor Mixed Experts League. He is also a member of the inaugural Outwars X League. Please say hello to the Roto Daddy himself, Mr. Doug Anderson. Doug, how you doing tonight? Oh, pretty good, Buck. Not to mention that besides all those nice things you say to me, I <laughs> did have that, that laser surgery that we talked about, so I'm due for a career year at this point. And you're off to a good start. You've, uh, you've, you've come up with some great insights, and uh, I, I kind of think you're going to have an opportunity to give us some more insight tonight when uh, we get around to that deal. Quite uh, quite uh, nicely timed, wasn't it? Yeah, we get to break the news, and uh, hopefully people haven't checked out about it yet, and they're hearing it first, so we get to give them a little bit of a shocker. Yeah, even if you have 
already heard about it, and uh, we'll run through it here real quickly. The San Diego Padres acquired right-handed pitcher Craig Kimbrell and outfielder Melvin Upton Jr. from the Braves for outfielders Cameron Maben, Carlos Quentin, right-handed pitcher Matt Whistler, outfielder Jordan Perubic, and the 41st pick in the upcoming draft. Obviously, a blockbuster trade that has far-reaching fantasy implications. And we are going to be, of course, breaking that down pretty much straight away before we get to the uh, the, the risers and fallers from spring training. We, we talked to Jake a little bit earlier, and he was going to try to get in a little bit uh, earlier than what we had originally planned just to talk about this deal. Doug, have we, uh, have we heard from Jake yet? Yeah, I think we have Jake right outside in the waiting room. Let me uh, just go and check and make sure he's there. He's in the green room. <laughs> Come on in, Jake. How are we doing? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Jake, how are you doing? Folks, this is uh, Jake Seeley. He's senior writer with uh, Roto Experts and the Fantasy Sports Network. He is also a uh, quite a poker player. And about, uh, oh, more than 10 years ago, he kind of started uh, – equating and uh, comparing the, uh, the the hobbies and the games of poker and fantasy sports. And uh, lo and behold, the nickname, the all-in kid, was born, and he still goes by it today. Uh, Jake, first and foremost, great to talk to you again. It's always a pleasure. How are you doing, and welcome to the show. I'm doing really good. I'm doing a lot better than my labor team. <laughs> yeah. Since you, uh, since you got to that uh, straight away, we uh, – Jake plays in the uh, the labor uh, league of alternative baseball reality um, a league and mixed it is in the mixed draft this year and Jake drafted a team that when when he drafted it looked really really good and uh, fate has kind of dealt him uh, it kind of dealt him a, a, a tough hand and uh, we're going to talk about that in just a second Jake before we get to that what do you have going on over at either Roto Experts or at Fantasy Sports Network. Uh, Roto Experts are going to start two weekly pieces coming up this week on Tuesdays. They're going to have the Master of the Twitterverse, which is from last year, basically answering questions that I see throughout the week. Kind of post there so you get your chance, if you follow me on Twitter, to have your stuff actually in an article. That'll also include uh, a breakdown at the end of it of the new stat that I came up with, Pay, which is predictive average. Going to look at that throughout the season. And Thursday is part of the kit you got to have special access to that, you know, so we get a little bit of money on the side, pay the bills, that type of stuff. But (laughs) that's looking at strikeout percentage minus walk percentage, which, you know, I coined as sob, actually not enough Dufino helped me coin that as sob, uh, which is a great, great predictor for the success or potential downfall of pitchers across the entire season. Hey, Buck. Yes. Yes, sir. I don't know if people realize this, but each time Jake is on Twitter, for the Masters of the Twitterverse, he's actually dressed up in the He-Man outfit. <laughs> is, that, is that right? Yeah, hey, actually, I, I, have, I have my pet I call Snarf, too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, and you talked about projections, and and I'm sure everybody's aware there's a site out there called fantasypros.com, and what they do is they do a, a, compila- a compilation, and it's called an Experts Consensus Ranking of, of projections and and uh, predictions of how players are going to fare, and uh, Jake he knows what he's talking about, folks, because uh, in back-to-back years now you have finished what, in the top four in in accuracy at the end of the year, Jake. Yeah, back-to-back years, uh, both years that I've been in it so far. Beautiful. Yeah, that's and so it, it's one thing to make 
predictions and predictions here in, in February and March, but uh, when dust is settled, you're in the top four, and what are they, 60-some experts that they compile over there. That's great stuff, so congratulations on that, and that's that's something you should be very, very proud of. It's a tremendous credit to be able to do that, especially two years in a row, so awesome job on that. Yeah, and unfortunately, I don't have to worry about it when it comes to all my injuries with that. You know, that that's out of the picture. <laughs> <laughs> Since you said injuries, uh, let, let's talk about that uh, that that uh, that team of yours because I'm just going to read the names here real quick, and and I think everybody is going to once, once I read the names, I think everybody's going to know how this story came out. Anthony Rendon, Hunter Pence, Dellen Batances, Javier Baez. Chris Bryant, Marcus Stroman, Coco Crisp. This this draft now was what this was late February, right? Early February. So I early think February. it was what was it, Doug? The end of the first week, early second week of February. Yeah, I think it was in the neighborhood like February eighth or ninth, something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Obviously, terrible, terrible luck. You, you've had a, a huge str- a string of bad luck here. What do you do? How do you recover? You, you're obviously starting from uh, from way behind. You know, Don <laughs> is going to be back. Pence will be back in, what, three weeks, a month. Batances is kind of up in the air where he is and what he's doing right now. Baez is in the minors. Bryant is in the minors, but he'll be back. Stroman's out for the year. Chris is gone six to eight weeks. What do you do at this point? Obviously, you're just trying to keep things afloat, but talk us through how you deal with something like that. Well, if you're me, the first thing you do is screw up the waivers because uh, <laughs> uh, on re- real-time sports, I, I totally screwed them up. I put them all into one bid group, so I only got Archie Bradley, even though I would have one Jace Peterson, uh, Rua, who I actually really like, uh, and a couple yep. other guys, and I, I totally screwed that up and boned that. So I ended up only getting Bradley, and then fortunately Gardner let me – pick up a couple guys after everything was said and done, but it was like Gregor Blanco and those type of guys. So they fill in the cracks, fill in the holes. But when you're in a position like this, I, I hate to start doing it right out the gate, but I think you got to take some risks. And I've actually already started trying to field some offers of being on the lopsided end of a two for one or a three for two trade. I, you know, you hate to, you know, when you're getting the extra player, you're getting the bad side of the deal. Yeah. You're giving up the better players. But in a case like this, where I can't even put an outfield together, uh, you, you, sometimes you got to bite the bullet and take the chance with that. Yeah, there's no shortage, I'm sure, of people willing to step up and help you out, right? Here, this, this will help <laughs> you out, Jake. Here. <laughs> Yeah, I've already got a couple of those kind of offers. I'm trying to get like I got one of the guy who got Rua offered me David Ortiz and Rua for Ryan Braun, and like eh, not oh. terrible, but I want yeah, I need a little bit more than that. Yeah, probably gonna need a little more than that. Uh, Doug, <laughs> you've probably been in a similar situation. You've been playing this game for a while, and you you've just had your your strategy kind of go right down right down the pipe. Uh, you know, a month in before you throw the first pitch, you're you're done. You know, so how do you how do you deal with that? Wow, wow, wow! Cry me a river. <laughs> I, I happen to be in the same mixed labor league with Jake, so my heart is breaking for him, as you can tell. <laughs> but I do have some understanding, having been in that same situation. I think the key is, the deeper the league, then the two and three for one start taking out a little more value. So labor mixed is 15 teams. If you can identify the right players that you like, more than the other guys do, and get that two-for-one for for those type of players, I think you can help mitigate some of the damage done. 
but basically just trying to find those temporary players that that might give you a little value. If you lose Coco Crisp, maybe Billy Burns can come in and steal some bases. You know, maybe after tonight's trade, you grab Carlos Quinton and he pulls something out of his elbow for uh, you know for a month to get you by. So I think it's just about keeping things together until you can get some of those players back. Yeah. And by the way, Jake, I was talking a little bit earlier tonight with uh, Tim McLeod and, and Tim asked me to pass along his, uh, his, his sympathies and his condolences for, uh, for, for the, the state of your team. And, but then again, he plays in talc. So he's, he's not really in the same, uh, same boat as Doug is there. No, but he understands. Basically, if you've yep. learned anything from following me for, what, three, four years, five years now, actually, at Roto Experts, is just find out who I own on three or more teams and stay the heck away. <laughs> See, well, I, take the other, I take the other method. I draft them when they're already injured. Then there's only one way to go. It's up. It's <laughs> up. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, let us talk about this deal. Obviously, this is a, a blockbuster, and the the Braves, everybody pretty much figured we're in rebuilding mode. Well, after this deal, I don't think that there's any doubt that they're in rebuilding mode. The Padres, meanwhile, uh, doggone, this was an interesting team before this trade. Now I look at the Padres, and I start thinking words like prohibitive favorites for the for the West, and I know that there's some some good teams out there, but this is an awfully good baseball team right now. Doug, start go through a little bit. How does this improve the Padres in in your mind? Is am I wrong to think this is a this is a team that could very easily win the West now? Well, I I think you have to look at that. We can't, we can't look at this trade at first like fantasy owners. So fantasy owners look at value, value wise. You know, did the Braves get what they needed? I don't know, value-wise. But it makes sense for both teams. Craig Kimbrell on the Braves was just the best closer in baseball, maybe. And he was a waste, really. He's going to be a free agent. Uh, I can't remember if it's after this season or next season. But he wasn't really going to fit in their long-term plans because he's, he, he wasn't going to help them when they're going to be good again. So it makes sense. I do think the Padres, this really solidifies that bullpen. I mean, Joaquin Benoit. Some fantasy owners are going to be a little disappointed that he's not a closer, but that slides him down a a notch. Kevin Quackenbush down a notch. They've got starting pitching depth. They've got pitchers coming back. Uh, Odris Despain, is that how you say his name? He didn't even make the starting rotation. you got Josh Johnson coming back. So they got starting pitching depth. The bullpen is looking, you know, you got that 7th, 8th, and ninth inning covered. To me, it's all about whether the offense – works as well as the names look. The names look good. It looks like an improved offense. I think they have to be one of the favorites. I still think the Dodger team is going to be tough to beat if they can get healthy. Jake, what do you think from a team standpoint? Is Does the road to the National League West run through San Diego right now? Uh, I think it's a lot closer than it was before, but I would say I'd put them on par with the Dodgers now. I, I actually still like the Dodgers even before this trade, but I think this kind of I want to say it narrows that gap very much to where I wouldn't be surprised if it's them and the Dodgers get the wild card or vice versa at this point. And actually a little interesting part of it is Quackenbush, according to the reports, is going to get sent down. So that's just how low they are at this point. Really, the thing that I like about him is what Doug touched on 
is we're talking about these teams that have been dominant, especially when you get to the playoffs. You look at the Royals, they're the perfect examples. Once you get to the seventh inning, it's over. Uh, you're really mm-hmm. your prayers of winning that game are, are very few, and so. I think they're definitely, uh, I would say, a favorite right there. I, I'd say it's a coin flip. Flip a coin, and they'll probably be one of the two that win the division. Yeah. Folks, you're listening to the Sunday Night Sandlot on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Buck Davidson, along with so-called fantasy experts, co-founder, the Roto Daddy himself, Doug Anderson, and our special guest tonight, the all-in kid, Jake Seeley of Roto Experts and the Fantasy Sports Network. We had kind of started out going to talk about some of the risers and fallers from spring training, but a blockbuster trade got in the way. That's not a bad thing, of course, because we can now talk about um, Craig Kimball closing for the San Diego Padres. And, Doug, I'll go back to you. Let's, let's break down some of the component parts of this thing. And I'll tell you what, why don't you, why don't you, take, it from the, uh, you want to take it from the Braves side? And then, uh, Jake, if you want to take it from the Padres side, and let's talk about what his, what's different now with these teams. How, where, where's the, the fantasy implications? Maybe there's some names that aren't on the radar screen anymore, that, uh, and there's some new names that are there. What, what do you think? Well, I think short-term, fantasy owners – I don't think they've announced anything yet. There's no formal, you know, hierarchy in the Braves bullpen right now. But the Braves have two veterans with closing experience, and Jason Grilly and Jim Johnson. Um, if you look at careers, last year was not a pleasant year for either one of them. But if you look back at their careers at different times, they've been very reliable. If you look at 2012-2013 for Jason Grilly. He was as good as just about any other reliever in baseball outside of Kimbrell and, you know, a few others. So he was top seven, top eight closer before last year. So I think Grilly gets the first shot. He's the one fantasy owners want to target. Both Jim Johnson and Grilly have had a good spring. I, I checked out their spring training numbers. Not that they mean a whole lot, but things looked good. The ERAs were low. Grilly was striking out hitters. So I think that's where that goes. Long term, though, I think this is where – Hopefully Jake can help me pronounce this name, but long-term, Mike Fultinowitz, he's a starting pitcher they acquired from Houston, but he throws in the upper 90s. He's kind of always been thought of as eventually maybe filling a bullpen role. I think long-term, you might want to keep an eye on him. Yeah, and and Jake, what about the Potters? Obviously, Craig Kimball slotting in there and Benoit going to the eighth inning. Doggone, that's a heck of a bullpen Talk about that, and then some of the uh, some of the other pieces that uh, that may slot in there. Yeah, well, I think that the, you, gave, you gave me the easy one. Uh, there's not much yeah. change that we're actually going to see from the Padres side of it. Uh, obviously, if you're in deeper leagues that possibly have holes, I already mentioned the fact that it looks like Quackenbush is getting sent down, which is just crazy to think about. But yeah. I think of anything, yeah. this kind of helps the rotation even more now that you have Kimbrel at the top, uh, arguably the best closer in the game alongside Chapman. I don't think his value changes too much. Maybe you can throw in a couple more saves. But I think that people sometimes over and underrate saves on losing or winning teams. You know, we've seen plenty of closers get close to 40 saves on some of the worst teams in the league. They can, so I don't think that we see a huge change in value for Kimbrough. But I'm looking at their roster for their pitchers now. And, I, you know, I say 
okay, now Tyson Ross and Kashner and Kennedy and even Brandon Morrow, who you probably won't see going deep into games, but if he can stay healthy, which has always been the case with him for his career, these guys don't need to get into the seventh to eighth inning anymore. So I think that kind of helps them with their win potential upside and especially getting that back into the, you know, the innings, like I said, getting locked down between them. So I think that's where the real value comes from is that we probably could add a win or two to a couple of these guys in that rotation. Yeah, and Jake, do you have anything to add uh, as far as from the Braves' standpoint? The the, the the couple of the prospects they got, Matt Whistler especially, is a top-notch prospect. And Jordan Perubek, I don't know a whole lot about. But Maven, I think, has a pretty decent chance to uh, to uh, start in that outfield, don't you think? As does Clinton. Yeah, that, no, that's actually the one I was going to talk about was Maven because uh, John – uh, what's his name from CBS? I can't think of his last name, right? Heyman was actually saying it sounds like that Quinton's going to be designated for free agency, probably ends up in the AL or somewhere like that. It's his assumption, but it sounds like they're letting him go. The only reason they brought him back was for salary balance. Uh, so between that, I actually do, and I, you know, I was going to talk about maybe if I got a chance, is I think that he now has some deeper level value, possibly a good pickup on 12, 15 team leagues, deeper leagues tomorrow with waivers running around because don't forget, maybe it's somebody that can steal you 20 plus bases. And if you're looking for cheap steals or somebody, I mean, nobody's got, nobody probably had maybe in any league. So now you got a guy sitting out there that's going to get regular bats, probably get you 20, 25 stolen bases. You can't just, you know, not do not away at that and just toss that away. That's, that's value. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Doug, uh, Melvin Upton Jr. was included in this deal. Also, I don't see a place for him in San Diego at this point. And I don't know how much salary was involved here, but what, what becomes of him now, do you suppose? Is, does he just become the, the fourth or fifth outfielder there when he, when he comes back? Well, I don't have any, you know, incredible insight. I don't have inside sources, but I know that the Padres have kind of messed around with Will Myers playing some first base. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen right away, but, if Yonder Alonso struggles or gets hurt, you know, we might see Will Myers get some more time at first base if he can handle it. Maybe Melvin, I, I, it's hard to say Melvin, maybe yeah. B.J. Upton <laughs> gets some time in the outfield. You know, he's going to have to show that he can do better than he has the last few years. But I, other than that, right now, I don't think there's any value in Upton at all. You have to just wait and, you know, maybe he can steal a few bases off the bench, and that's about it for NL only leagues. I guess you didn't see my meme there, Doug. I, when I, I I took the, you remember the, you're all gonna make me lose my mind. Upton here, Upton here, that old picture. <laughs> I put I put it in Petco, and I put Justin in left field, and I put BJ in the dugout. Yeah, I think that's where he's gonna be sitting most of the time. <laughs> yeah. So, and obviously, as, as things progress, they'll start to fall into place. But the the early take on this is. Wow, in San Diego, they they have a, a bullpen that is arguably one of the best in the National League, if not baseball. And this team that was interesting before just got a whole lot more interesting. As far as the Braves go, the return on this deal, it, it's going to how the prospects come out. If the prospects turn out to be all that they can be, maybe this deal doesn't look so bad in a few years. But uh, right now, as I say, the the Padres are really really looking good. A little bit of injury news, guys. Uh, Jake, this will probably involve uh, some of your labor team, I'm sure. But uh, uh, we, we, we talked a little bit about Anthony Rendon, uh, three weeks uh, uh, sprained knee ligament um, 
what do you think, Jake, when he comes back? Can we expect Anthony Rendon again, or do you think he's not going to run quite as much? Uh, that's actually my concern is I think that he might end up being similar to last year when it comes to the running. And the fact is a, a lot of people like myself were projecting him to pick that up this year because he is successful because he has the speed. You know, I was thinking that 25, 15, if he really got aggressive, maybe he got to 20. I didn't see that coming, but I saw more of a 25, 15 year. And then you're talking about 90 plus runs in RBI with a high average. That's why I consider him a, a end of the first round pick, but I wouldn't be surprised if those stolen bases end up in the single digits now, just because when you have that knee concern, I think that if anything, you want to focus at the plate to making sure that it's healthy, making sure you have your power, make sure you're hitting well. So if it takes a little time before he feels confident enough to be aggressive on the base, maybe we're looking at seven, eight stolen bases for the season. So I think that he loses a little bit of value if you project it out from the day he's back for the rest of the season. Not too much, but a little bit. Yeah, Doug, now, Rendon, you don't replace him, but what do you do? Uh, I don't know if there's any in-house options in, in Washington that are going to provide too much in the way of fantasy value. Uh, Escobar, maybe, what, what do we do? Well, I don't think you turn to Escobar. I think you have to work around it some other way. There's nobody in Washington. Uh, Espinosa, you know, got some pop, but he's going to hit 200. To me, if you're trying to patch somebody in there, who's not going to hurt you in average, maybe a stolen base guy, uh, you know, so, but with, with Rendon, you know, I, he was on a lot of my teams last year because of his obvious potential. But I think what, you know, people kind of ignored coming to this year is that he's got a big history back in college of lower body injuries. So they were ankle injuries, stuff like that. So it's going to be hard to see him running like he did last year. I, I just don't see it. I, I like him. He's a great talent. But I have a feeling we might be uh, talking about this every year, you know, for a week or two. Some kind so of no, injury. My, my, my pickups of Adubel Herrera and uh, Devin Travis don't excite you in labor for replacing him? <laughs> you know, Devin Travis does. I actually love Devin Travis. Uh-huh. Absolutely. I, I see some power there. I see some speed there. And he's really not challenged for a job right now that, that I can see. Uh, Maceira Sturis is, of course, on the DL. Um, Goins was just sent to the minors. I don't think he's he's got too much competition there for a job. So I, I think Travis could be a very good pickup, to be uh, to be honest. And he might be somebody that you look at uh, to replace Rendon at least short term. Uh, talk, talk about another guy um, that uh, it's not an injury situation, but it was a case where the D-backs made room for one Archie Bradley. Doug, uh, what do you know about this guy? Heck of a pitching prospect, uh, probably available on a lot of waiver wires right now. Do we want him? Oh, I think you definitely. I tweeted about this the other day. If you're in a mixed league, you know, NL only leagues, AL only leagues, the waiver wire, a lot of times you you hold on to it for players being traded from league to league. You can get a nice a star player off waiver wire. But in a mixed league, you don't get many opportunities to really pick up an impact player on the waiver wire, you know, usually it's somebody maybe who jumps into a starting role for an injury or a rookie that gets called up. Well, you hear you've got a chance for an impact pitcher for the whole season. I think you have to jump on that. Last year was ugly. He had some arm issues. The control wasn't there. But for that type of upside, I'm all over it. And I think you grab him, and if you've got a reserve spot, you stash him there and see what happens because he's got number one starter type upside eventually. That's not going to happen right away. But you don't get a chance to get that very often. 
Yeah, we already know what uh, Jake. What you think, Archie? Right? <laughs> I spent thirty-four dollars on him on labor. I was actually surprised. <laughs> you know, to everything that Doug just said is actually why I'm surprised. I was so much higher than everybody else. I actually thought there was a chance I wasn't going to get him because, as Doug has mentioned, it's a 15-team league. We drafted 28 rounds, so the the waivers are pretty thin. And to me, like he said, you don't find this type of pitcher very often, if ever, in a league that deep. And the only downside I see is really whip. I, I think that he's the quality pitcher. You're going to get the strikeouts. The abilities there, we've seen it. I just think that the whip can end up hurting you. I think we're probably looking at a 1-3 something, potentially even close to 1-4, which obviously isn't great. But for the rest of the metrics and the strikeouts and the potential he has, I just I don't see that coming up very often. Well, you know, a similar right. situation. I hope it doesn't end up the same way because you're in the league with me. But two years ago, the Marlins made a surprise decision to start the season with the Jose Fernandez. I bet on him pretty high. I bet on him pretty high, and nobody else even – I don't think anybody really took it serious. I'm like, hey, you know, the upside's there, and it worked out. It's not going to always work out that way, but that's that's the shot you want to take. Yeah, because – and especially if you're dealing with an injury, Jake, like you are right now, yeah, it's, it's all about upside. You could go out and, and pick up somebody that you know what you're getting – but if that something is kind of mediocre, then it's it's probably not worth your fab dollars. But if you get someone with a high ceiling, like we're talking about with Bradley, yeah, that could that could pay off big. Uh, another injury, Jake, and you mentioned one of the guys that stands to get some playing time from this. Uh, Coco Crisp is on the DL. He's going to be out about six to eight weeks from what they're saying. But you mentioned a guy earlier that really needs to be on people's radar screen if they're looking for speed and they're not looking to spend a lot of money. Talk about Mr. Burns. I think that's pretty much all you're looking at is what Doug was talking about with the fact that you're going to get speed from him. And that's, you know, it's hard to find speed and power. I say we've actually switched more to finding power is a little bit more difficult, but I think that even if he only gets 250, 300 at bats because Chris comes back and then he ends up platooning with people or doesn't have a full-time role, it kind of ends up kind of like an Alcantara where he's out there, you know, three, four times a week. I'd say if he gets 300 at-bats at the end of the season, you're probably still getting 25 to 30 steals. And as people have shown fantasy-wise, well, whether it's like an Alcantara or somebody like him, even 300 at-bats, when you're getting those type of steals, you plug him into your roster in the days that he's playing. Ideally, you want a league where you have daily roster moves and not a weekly roster for once Chris is back. But at least until then, uh, you're getting plenty of speed for your team. With I don't think his average is going to hurt you. It's not going to be great at, say, 240, 250, but it's all about the speed when it comes to him. Yeah, Doug, really interesting outfield in Oakland right now is basically Sam Fold, Craig Gentry, and uh, Billy Burns. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's pretty fast. Not a lot of power out there, though, but as we, as we remember from what's in the days of Super Sam, uh, Mr. Fold can generate some uh, some excitement as well. What do you what do you think about Burns? Is he worth a waiver wire grab or not? Well, I think he is, and especially if, as you start talking about fifteen team leagues or you know deeper NLA only leagues. Because let's face it, I mean, if you've got Sam Fold that you're competing with, nothing against Super Sam Fold. We love him down here in Tampa, <laughs> but we know that long term he can't hit. He's a good defender. He's a great fourth or fifth outfielder, but if he's part of the equation you got to compete with, if you can do anything offensively, you got the leg up. And I think Burns has a pretty good defensive reputation too. So he's going to get some playing time even when Crisp comes back. You know, 
Crisp could get hurt again right away. He's he's been known to do that. So I think in 15 team leagues or NLA only, yeah, I like Burns. He's someone who's going to fill in some stats at pretty much no cost. Folks, you're listening to the Sunday Night Sandlot on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Buck Davidson, along with so-called fantasy experts co-founder, Mr. Doug Anderson, and our very special guest, the all-in kid, Jake Seeley of Voto Experts and the Fantasy Sports Network. And we're kind of recapping some of the big developments from spring training 2015, specifically players whose stock is either taking a major upturn or a major downturn based upon their performance, be it uh, an injury that they suffered or just that they had a really, really good spring or a really, really bad spring. And uh, one of the players, Doug, I'm going to start with you because this is somebody that we've looked at down here in, in Tampa Bay and said, this is the year, this is the year, this is the year. Talk about Desmond Jennings because he had a huge spring. Is this the year we see it? Desmond Jennings has lost me. <laughs> <laughs> a few years back I you know I took him I don't remember what round but I I liked you know all that power speed potential and I just don't think he's ever going to really learn how to hit good pitching and there are some hitters who they're going to feast off of you know the lesser pitchers but any good pitcher with a good slider that they can throw in the outer half and Desmond Jennings is not going to do well so you know spring training Look at the pitchers he's likely facing. He's likely facing, you know, a bunch of fringe AAA guys, uh, veterans just working on finding their fastball location. So if look at last year, look at the year before. Could he take a little small step forward? Sure. He's got to run more than he has, I would think. But he's not going to break through. He is what he is. A small step forward would be nice. I, I like him as my fifth outfielder. Uh, maybe a reserve shot, slot in mixed leagues, but I, I'm not buying into any kind of real breakout. Yeah, Jake, Doug and I talked about this last week and how much stock you should really put in spring training numbers. Talk real quick about how, how much stock do you put in those numbers and then give me your take on Desmond Jennings as to whether or not he's actually going to break out this year. I put very little, and the reason I even say any at all is because I'm talking about the people who are either fighting for playing time, uh, making changes to their pitching, and that's really what it comes to pitching. Maybe a few hitters if they're trying to change their stance or make adjustments at the plate, but that usually goes more for pitchers. Or when it comes to hitters, you know, really looking at their walks or strikeout rates, that type of thing, I'm not too concerned with the averages, the power for people who we know who can hit, uh, the people who are stealing bases because, you know, you probably don't get too aggressive in spring. Same thing with pitchers, the people who strike out. I, I'd rather, if I'm looking at pitchers, look at strike percentage and walk percentage, just similar to that article that I'll have on Thursday. But that's what I'm looking at in the spring, not so much the ERA, especially because it's such a small sample size. Somebody gets roughed up three or four runs, which isn't even that much, but one outing of three or four innings, and his ERA is going to look bloated for the spring. So I put very little stock unless it's things I'm looking for, players I'm trying to watch, maybe coming back from injury. So when it comes to Jennings, uh, similar to what we talked about, he's done this in spring before. 
So mm -hmm. uh, I just I don't know whether or not it's the fact of somebody who is one of those talents similar, maybe like Chris Davis, who the talent was always there and it just finally took a couple of years for it to happen. Uh, maybe that's with him. And I'll take a chance late because he's not going to cost you anything. Obviously, everybody's drafting is pretty much done at this point. But there was a few leagues that I took a chance on him because I got him super late, similar to Doug. I, I'm kind of in the boat of he's ticked me off enough at this point that I almost didn't even want anything to do with him. But when we're talking about rounds 20 for somebody who has the potential to still be somebody who could provide top 40 outfield value, you, you kind of have to take the chance on him. I, I don't necessarily think it's going to happen, but at least the spring is promising if he can stay healthy. Yeah, and Jake, here is a set of numbers that, to me anyway, is relevant. And I'm going to talk about Carlos Martinez for the St. Louis Cardinals, last September as a relief pitcher. 0.63 earned run average, 22 strikeouts in 26 in the third innings as a reliever. So lights out. Now this spring, he's a starter. 286 earned run average, 195 batting average against 21 strikeouts in 22 innings pitched. Uh, going very late in most leagues, he has won the, the fifth starter job in St. Louis. I see a lot of upside here. Am I out of my mind? No, I don't think you are. And you would talk about what I was just talking about with watching things in spring training. That's a really good comparison of somebody to watch because Carlos Martinez, you talk about last year, was a reliever. Now he's moving to the rotation. Obviously, relievers usually – more often than not, have a higher strikeout percentage because they go a little harder. They don't have to pitch the full six, seven, eight innings. So when somebody still comes out and strikes out 21 and 22 innings, granted, they're three, four, or five inning starts, but he's looked very comfortable on the mound. He looks great against batters. I love his talent. I always have. Uh, I actually, if given the choice, even knowing today that Bradley's in the rotation, I would take Martinez 10 times out of 10 for this season. Yeah. Doug, what do you think about Carlos Martinez? I, for me, you, you can't argue with the stuff he's got, you know, the fastball. He's got all kinds of movement. The potential's there. Too many mistakes. But I want to see that he can do it, you know, on a, on a full-time basis. He's never been able to throw strikes in the starting rotation. And, uh, and the strikeouts in the minor leagues haven't been as much as you would think with his type of stuff. So, I, you know, I'm obviously taking the flyer where I can. But he's on my bench until he shows me something. All right, uh, Doug, go to uh, one of the stories of the spring. Uh, this was a young man that uh, reported to spring training with uh, pretty much a new contract, rather lucrative contract, and uh, was living in his van. And uh, the story came out that here he was with his little stove out there cooking and everything because it's what he wanted, it's the way he is. He's, um, uh, from what way everybody describes him, uh, you know, different than uh, a lot of folks. Uh, talking about Daniel Norris with the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, very interesting story. He's made the rotation. Um, from what I've seen, he has some pretty serious stuff. Are we? To, are, are, is he a fantasy option right now? I think he has to be. You know, I try to separate the story from the pitcher. But when you're looking at these numbers, we talked about Jose Fernandez earlier. If you look at Daniel Norris last year across, he went from A ball, eventually got all the way minor leagues, but I'm or all the way to the major leagues. But I'm looking at A ball, double A and triple A, twelve and two, two fifty three ERA, hundred and twenty four innings pitched, hundred and sixty three strikeouts. And he wasn't that wild, you know, he had a whip of one point one one. So 
you got that kind of strikeout potential, you have to pay attention. You know, pitching in the AL East, at least he doesn't have to face the Blue Jays. It's a tough ballpark. You know, you probably want to start him on your bench as well, but how can you ignore that kind of strikeout potential if your league uses strikeouts? Yeah, Jake, what do you think? Can you ignore that kind of strikeout potential? No, and I actually think that he performs better and has a better season than Aaron Sanchez at this point. Well, yeah, me too. Yeah, and and the story again, the story of course made national news that it was so unusual that here this rather wealthy young man is living in this this old 1970s Volkswagen van, but. The stuff is real, and as Doug said, those numbers, you, you can't just turn away from 163 strikeouts in 124 innings that, and across three levels. That is some uh, some seriously good stuff. And, and, yeah, late in the draft, Daniel Norris is definitely a die worth, uh, uh, dice worth rolling. Uh, Jake, what about a guy whose name we know? Uh, seems like we've been talking about him for a few years now. He's only 22 years old. Absolutely incredible spring. Gave up a grand total of two earned runs in 27 innings. Walked only five batters. Uh, when he, he did actually allow a run in, in one game, then he uh, turned around and put down the next 18 in a row. Just an incredible spring for Taiwan Walker. Is is this the year that we see that uh, that upside? I really do think we are going to see it this year, and I think he's a great person to look at for future years. As I say, everybody's probably done drafting at this point, but or at least for the daily game, someone you can watch for a low price earlier in the season is this is one of those prospects that has a ton of potential. He, like you mentioned, he's just 22 years old, but we've, because we've been talking about him for so many years, people seem to kind of dismiss him and don't pay as much attention because he hasn't done it yet, had a little bit of the injuries, problems. Uh, and so you look at the point where he has now of the value that you're getting for somebody who has the potential to probably, I would say, when he's all said and done, probably a number two starter, a solid number two starter in the league, still ceiling enough for a number one starter, but I'd put him as a number two. But we're talking about somebody who's a potential number two, maybe even this year uh, for his team, obviously probably number two, number three in fantasy. They, most I saw a lot of leagues, 12-team leagues, where he still wasn't even getting drafted late to uh, March. Yeah, as did I. Doug, what, uh, what say you on the Taiwan Walker? Well, I'll just tell you one thing. He's on my tout, or he's on my Tout Wars X team. He's on my Labor Mix team. He's on pretty much every team I have. It just amazes me how a player one year can be such a highly rated prospect, but then so many smart, good fantasy baseball owners completely discount what they were after one year where he kind of dealt with some little he dealt with some elbow issues last year, but his numbers when he pitched were actually pretty good. So I'm all over him, and I, I think he's going to be one of the values of the year. Yeah, and as you said, he was he was just, he was was going to be the next ace, the next big starting pitcher, and all of a sudden he had an injury and kind of dropped off the radar screen. And, and yeah, Doug, you, you mentioned that you had him in um, in the, uh, the top X. What, uh, what did you pay for him? <laughs> that was that $1 pitcher. That's how I <laughs> – that's how I got yeah. Mike Trout. I partnered him with Mike Trout, and I said, I'll be happy with that. Yeah, one, one whole dollar in that, that format, and how can you go wrong, folks? I mean, and Daniel Norris, by the way, is also a dollar. So these are very low-risk, uh, uh, low, low high-reward investments that as you get to the end of your draft, yeah, jump over that because it's, it's, it has the opportunity to really pay some, uh, some fine dividends down the road. Doug, uh, let's talk about Oakland. Obviously, this is a team that's kind of retooling also, but they have a young man that 
uh, just had an incredible spring as well. And Kendall Graveman, what do we know about this young man? Is he somebody that maybe we want to look at for a mixed league? Doug, are you there? Yeah, what happened, fellas? <laughs> did, we, did we lose Doug? I think we may have lost I hear. Uh, Is Doug back? I just heard him. I heard him. Yeah, you guys well, got me now, I think. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Doug, we're, we're, we're talking about Kendall Graveman. Had an absolutely fabulous spring for the Oakland A's, which is a team that is kind of retooling a little bit, but they always seem to find ways to win games. Pitching, of course, in a very, very favorable home ballpark, but strikeout rate is not too good. He's more of a ground ball specialist. What do we know about him, and and is he mixed league worthy at this point? Well, I think it matters how you play your mixed league. Uh, To me, this is one of the reasons why I grab one elite starter, one second-tier starter, and then I completely wait on pitching because you can stream guys like Graveman through through your lineup and... At worst, you pitch him when he's in Oakland, and it looks like you're going to get pretty decent numbers. If you're talking about seven starting pitchers on your staff, which I like to do, you got someone I feel like is a pretty safe option if I stream him when he's pitching at home in Oakland. So, yeah, I like Graveman. I think it's pitchers like this where you can kind of sneak value out of nowhere. Yeah, I'm looking at his spring numbers here, Jake. 0-42 and run average, 11-4 to strikeout to walk ratio, but that's over 21 and a third innings. That's Great numbers, obviously, great ratios, but are we dealing with somebody whose upside is Doug Fister? Uh, I think that's the only concern that you have with him is the fact that we're probably not going to see somebody striking out 160, 170, really maybe even possibly 150 over this course of the entire season. So I'm with Doug in the fact that I like him late in drafts, but he'll probably be somebody I trust a lot more when they're home in Oakland. Yeah, and that spacious ballpark makes all the difference because the, the foul territory there is, is enormous. It's, it's a cavernous ballpark. And don't ever underestimate, and I'm sure everybody listening knows this, don't underestimate the, the home ballpark, especially when it comes to pitchers because uh, those pop flies that would be in the seats anywhere else are easy outs in uh, in Oakland. So definitely a uh, a guy that you might want to look at streaming when he's he's pitching in his home ballpark. Jake, going to stay with you. Uh, let's talk about some cheap speed options. We talked about Billy Burns a little bit earlier, but I'm going to go to the uh, to the Chicago White Sox and talk about their new second baseman, young young man by the name of Micah Johnson. I saw him play in on uh, one of the broadcasts there not too long ago, and this young man can fly. Is is he a legitimate uh, mixed league fantasy option that could give you 25 or 30 steals this season? I hope so because that's the one good thing I think I did in the labor draft was I had him as one of my last picks in the in the draft way back at the beginning of February because I was banking on him winning the second base job and I'm really happy that he did because it's all about the speed with him. I actually think that he could top 30 stolen bases, probably even get close to 40 as long as he keeps the job for the entire season. And it looks like he has a good bet to do so. The average isn't going to be spectacular. It's going to be a 250-260 average. Uh, and maybe he has a little room for grow, but he's also got a little bit of downside, too, because he is a little bit aggressive at the plate. Uh, obviously, you're banking on somebody who's going to get your runs by getting on base, but hitting down on the order is what kind of saps that value a little bit. And, you know, he's not a power guy. He's not going to have a ton of RBIs for you. So it's really all about the speed. But like I said, for a full season, I think if he gets 500 at-bats, I think if he doesn't have any injury issues or any slumps where he loses the job, I think we're looking at somebody who's going to steal mid-30 stolen bases and I, I really like him for this season. 
Doug, what do you think about Micah Johnson? You buy in that's a pretty good looking offense in Chicago. They should score a bunch of runs, and uh, even this young man hits at the bottom of the order. I think he's going to going to uh, have a have a chance to put up some good numbers there. What do you think? Well, I think that's key because you're talking about American League. It the batting order it matters because you get more at bats toward the top, but it's not as exaggerated in the NL when you got the the pitcher hitting after you. Uh, you're talking about middle infield where I think there's some depth at second base, but shortstop's thin. So middle infield slot, I think you know he sold 83 bases. What I think two or three years ago in the minor leagues. Yeah, I think you're looking at 30, 30 plus stolen bases. It's just a matter of whether he can get on base at a decent rate and keep his batting average up. Honestly, I don't think Carlos Sanchez in, in Chicago is any real challenge to him as long as he doesn't go into those prolonged slumps that Jake was talking about. Folks, you're listening to the Sunday Night Sandlot on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Buck Davidson, along with so-called fantasy experts co-founder, Mr. Doug Anderson, and our very special guest, the all-in kid, Jake Seeley of Roto Experts and the Fantasy Sports Network. A little bit earlier in the show, if you should just happen to be joining us live, we broke down the fantasy implications of the blockbuster trade that uh, happened a little bit earlier today, which sent Craig Kimball to the San Diego Padres and sent uh, Cameron Mabin and um, Carlos Quentin to the Braves and also sent Melvin up to to the Padres. So if you want to go back in the show a little bit, you can hear our breakdown on that because obviously the, the fantasy implications of that are tremendous. Fantasy implications of cheap speed, late and available late in your draft. Doug, we just talked about Micah Johnson in Chicago. Talk to me about Jace Peterson. Is this somebody else that maybe could could give me 20 or 25 stolen bases? Well, I, th- I think it is, and it's someone who kind of snuck up on me. His name's kind of been floating around for a little while, but you know, I didn't realize that there were, in 2012, 2013, Stole 51 bases, then 42 in the minor leagues. I don't think that translates to, you know, 30 stolen bases for sure in the major leagues. But he's got pretty decent on-base skills. I don't know what that Atlanta lineup is going to shape up to be. They're not going to score a ton of runs. But when you're talking about, you know, especially NO-only leagues, if you can grab Jace Peterson, you got yourself a, a shot at least to fill a decent percentage of the stolen bases you need to compete. So I like it as a late shot. I'm not convinced he's going to hit, but in an NL-only league especially, there's not a whole lot more you can ask for. Jake, what do you think? You buy that? I do, and as I mentioned at the top of the show, he was actually my second waiver claim in labor if I would have had everything done properly, but it's yeah. because I screwed that up. I think that he's very similar comparison to Micah Johnson. So I do think there's plenty of value for him. To, I was actually hoping that Peraza was going to be the one, but it looks like it's Peterson with a little bit less speed than Peraza. Peraza was more looking at like a 40 to 50 stolen base guy. Uh, yeah. Uh, Jake, let me ask you real quick. Uh, the, the breaking news trade that we had a little bit earlier is going to run us past the 60 minute port, uh, uh, point of the show. Do you have time to stick around and, and talk about some of the other folks that we have on the list? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Oh, fantastic. Because I know when we talk to Doug about this next guy, it's probably going to run into, you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock tonight. So I'm going to ask <laughs> you first about uh, Michael Pineda of the New York Yankees. Great spring. Is, is, this guy a budding fa- is this guy a budding fantasy ace? He is, as long as he's healthy. It's always been the problem with him. Is I believed in the talent from day one, and I know exactly what you're saying and why you're joking about it, and that 
That dog could probably go on him for about an hour. <laughs> She's been on him from day one, too. Because I still remember way back when he was telling me about Chris Sale, and Pineda was right behind him early on. So I know he loves him, and I, I, I don't see any reason not to. The talent is still there. It's just whether or not he can stay healthy. And so far, so good. Obviously, the concern will always be there, but – I really think that you're probably looking at somebody who, if he pitches 180-plus innings this year, i say he finishes as a top 25 starter. Yeah, and you said the two key words, if healthy. And Doug, it's, it's easy to be on the bandwagon for this guy when he just went out and posted a 142 spring-earned run average, struck out 23 guys in 19 innings. To your credit, you have been all about this guy for quite some time now before everybody was talking about him. So give us, uh, give us your spin on uh, Michael Pineda. Well, I won't go too far into how much I think, how good I can think he can be, but I will say that a, a very respected fantasy writer who I read, I respect, he was talking about Pineda, and he said he didn't see that much to be excited about because of all the injury history. And I get that, but I think when you're talking, especially when you're talking about mixed leagues, there's so much mediocre pitching that you can get whenever you want. For me, I would rather go for the Michael Pinedas, the Taiwan Walkers. Yeah, maybe it doesn't pan out. But I can go grab mediocrity all the time in a mixed league. It's easy to find. I'm going to take my shot on these guys. And I think Pineda's got so much upside, it's not funny. If you if you watch his stuff and how the, the type of movement he gets, the velocity, it's I'm amazed that he, his strikeout rate last year was not that great. And it wasn't, I have to be honest. But I think there's there's number one starter type stuff there. I think he's going to be a breakout pitcher of the year. Yeah, he has to stay healthy, but you know the the injuries really haven't been related. So I'm I'm no wor- more worried about him than I am a you know 50 percent of the other pitchers. And he's a big guy too. He's got to be oh. uncomfortable to hit against. <laughs> it looks like he releases he releases that ball and it looks like it just jumps on the hitter because he's what six seven about. 270-275. This is a, a big guy, so he's he's got to be a, a very uncomfortable guy to hit against. And uh, yeah, the two key words, uh, if healthy. Uh, Doug, speaking of if healthy, talk about Rusny Castillo. This was a guy that got a lot of hype before the season. Seems to be having some trouble staying healthy, and he is back down in the minor leagues right now. Should we give up on Castillo, or will he be back? Uh, there's no way you can give up on him. I mean, we don't know. I don't know his history in Cuba, but what I do know is that the things that he can do well are going to play well in Boston, and at some time there's going to be an opportunity where he gets to to play there, and it's going to be on a full time basis. So I think you know, much like a Danny Salazar on the pitching side, a lot of people are going to forget all about him. But this is a player who can do a little bit of everything, and when he does get that opportunity, you know, Shane Victorino. Let's face it, he gets hurt. Uh, maybe the Red Sox decide to trade him. I don't know what's going to happen, but there's going to be an opening. And Castillo is going to be a nice pickup if he's out in the waiver wire. So if you've got him, hold on to him if you if you have that roster flexibility. Yeah, Jake, I was kind of surprised that I didn't see Rusny Castillo on your waiver roster, but talk, talk a little <laughs> about him. He's obviously, the, the 30 stolen base upside, I think, is definitely there, and he looks like he can hit a little bit too. So if you've got him right now, this is somebody that you just – station and wait for him to come back? 
I think that you have to. I can't imagine dropping them unless you're a very shallow roster depth. Uh, that's saying, like, I know I'm in one league where we only have three bench spots, which I, I hate it. I don't know why I play in that league. But that being said, I could see in a situation like that maybe making a move. Just know that you're going to have to pay a pretty penny to get him back once Victorino gets hurt. That's all it really is to it. Is That's the only spot you can find in the lineup. Victorino, everybody forgets that he has been extremely good year after year after year before last season, which was very injury riddled. So you got to throw that into account. There's a chance that Victorino stays healthy for a month, two, three months, that we don't see Castillo for a while. Uh, that being said, I don't, I don't think anybody would put money down on Victorino making it through the entire season. Right. Well, we talk about a guy that is on your labor team right now, Dylan Batonsis. Dominant as a setup man last year. Everybody kind of figured that he would just kind of step into the closer's role this year. Everything would be great. Um, not so much. Hold the phone. He has had a really bumpy spring. He's walked five guys in seven and a third innings and a 614 earned run average. He's not been as dominant, anywhere near as dominant as he was last year. Meanwhile, Andrew Miller has been very, very good this spring. What do you say? Is is it Miller time? Are we looking at a committee here? Or is Batonsis just going to be the guy and this is just a bump in the road? <laughs> I actually think we're looking at a committee to start things off just until he gets things under wraps. And unfortunately, this is one of those ones where I actually made a prediction that doesn't look like it's going to hold true just so far as I said he was going to be in the top five for closers and in the conversation with Kimbrell, with Cody, uh, with Allen, with uh, Chapman, because he's going to strike out over 100 guys and be one of the best closers. And I really wasn't expecting this. That being said, why I think this might be a committee just for a little while is because he had a similar problem last year with his speed in spring training. I don't know if a lot of people are paying attention or realize that is he started off slow last year with his speed. It took a little while to get going. I don't know if this is something that is going to be the you know career way that he goes, and every single year he starts off slow when it comes to his speed, but... That being said, I think that if he comes out and has a couple good outings, gets his speed back, as good as Miller is, I think they want Miller to be able to possibly go seventh and eighth inning when they can, uh, you know, matchup-wise, depending on what the game is, that type of stuff. But I think they want that flexibility with Miller, which they wouldn't get if they're using him to close. Doug, what do you think about the tonsils? And uh, how are you going to be to deal with the first time one of these guys blows a safe with uh, Pineda? Go ahead. I won't be happy to deal with that. Uh, but I think the key that Jake said is that the Yankees are going to want Batansis to close. I'm a little bit old school in that I like to see a pitcher pitch. I, I, sometimes the numbers don't tell me everything. I've watched Batansis, and there's a times where it doesn't look like he's quite sure where the ball's going. His minor league, almost five walks per nine innings. So... I'm not as high on him as some people are. His numbers last year you can't argue with at all. But I think the key is the Yankees want him closing, and they're going to give him every opportunity. So if you believe in him, then I, I think you stick with him. But, uh, you know, I think he's going to have some bumpy spots. Yeah, now here's another decision as to whether or not you stick with somebody or, or uh, let him go. And we're talking about Matt Wieters from Baltimore Orioles. Uh, had Tommy John surgery. Uh came out this spring and kind of flared up on him again, or the, the arm flared up on him. He's on the disabled list, eligible to return April the 11th. 
what do you think, Doug? Is this something that's going to linger, or is he just working through the recovery process? Well, one of the reasons I wasn't too worried about it initially is because I figured that the Orioles would just slide him over to DH a lot early in the year, but it doesn't seem like they really want to do that. So I think we do have to be a little more concerned. You know, a catcher does throw the ball a lot, even just the regular wear and tear, you know, of throwing it back to the pitcher, throwing it down every inning. Uh, so you do have to be a little more concerned. If if they're not willing to slot him at DH, then I think at the very least when he comes back, his playing time is going to be lower. Uh, with that said, unless you're in some kind of one-catcher, eight-team league, I don't think you can give up on him because he's, he's it looked like he was really starting to break out last year, small sample size, all that. But there aren't a whole lot of catchers who have more offensive potential than he does. So I think you have to stick with him if you can at all. Yeah, Jake, what do you think? Uh, I think it's all my fault uh, because <laughs> <laughs> Doug knows how much I hate two catcher leagues, and yeah. and one and one league. I, this is the only league I usually punt catchers in two catchers leagues. The only league this year I said, you know what, he's coming at too much of a value. I'm going to take a higher catcher early, and it was Matt Weeders. So that was three weeks ago. Uh, this is not the best news, but I, I'm I'm still okay with it. I think at this point he came at a value this close to the season starting because it, he is eligible to return quickly. I think they had they had that in mind when they put him on the DL, and this was something that you know Stephanie Bell talked or Stefania Bell talked about is said that this is pretty typical for even hitters when they're going through recovering from Tommy John. So uh, I I'm not too worried because she doesn't seem too worried. So I hope. She's right. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And and this could just be a matter of him working through it, and he's going to be fine when he comes back and go back to being Matt Leaders again. But I, I think it's something that we definitely have to be vigilant about because if uh, if he's unable to throw, and Doug, as you said, if they're not going to put him in the DH slot, his playing time is going to suffer. Jake, talk a little bit about a very popular sleeper pick, and I do not remember where he went in labor, but I know in a couple of the expert leagues I was following, he went pretty high. Talking about Steven Souza uh, for Tampa Bay Rays. This was somebody everybody was looking at as being a 2020 guy. Well, not so much. He had pretty much a terrible spring, struck out 16 times in 49 at-bats. Uh, what do you think? Do we discount the spring numbers, or is this maybe not everything we think he can be? I think it's actually more the latter, and it's not because of the spring numbers. I just wasn't expecting that much. If you look at him for his entire career, there's a reason this guy is already in his late 20s and everybody's talking about him as they were saying, well, he's going to get the playing time and the potentials there. He has the ability for 2020. Well, you know, he really hasn't done that plenty of times before. And no, he hasn't gotten a full opportunity to start in the majors, but for there's a probably looking like there was a good reason for that. So, you know, and maybe he's a 10, 10 guy, maybe he's 15, 15. I just don't think I ever saw the talent there where I believe that he was going to be 2020. Do I think he's a 122 hitter? No, I think he could be better than that. But I think this is one of those situations where a few people, Throughout the name, and they were experts. And this isn't this isn't saying anything but negative about experts because Doug, you and I could do the same thing. But if you get a couple people that are experts talking about a guy, the hype starts to build. People start paying attention, and then it gets a little bit out of control. And I think this is one of those situations where sometimes you have to look at the player. And yes, there is potential there, but his cost ended up going way too high towards the I'd say middle of March. We say, yeah, I tend to agree. I you know. Usually a player in Tampa, you know, being that I see a lot of the games, 
I, I like to own them, but there's not a team that I own Souza on just because he was one of those sleepers, one of those guys that starts out early in the year, and for whatever reason, they gain steam as this sleeper type, and they overlook the the obvious warts. I don't think he strikes out quite a bit. I don't think he's going to hit for an average in the major league. So I, I think the power is there. I think he's going to approach 20 home runs. Uh, the stolen bases, it just really matters if he gets on base enough. And, you know, if they can – right now I think the Rays are planning on batting him number two. Uh, you know, if he can stay in that slot, yeah, but they can't have him in that slot if he's striking out that much. No, absolutely not. Folks, you're listening to the Sunday Night Sandlot on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Buck Davidson, along with so-called Fantasy Experts co-founder, the Roto Daddy himself, Doug Anderson, and our very special guest, the all-in kid, Jake Seeley of Roto Experts and the Fantasy Sports Network. We're kind of recapping some of the big developments, uh, some of the things that happened during spring training and some players that are either rising or falling up or down draft boards as a result. And one of the players that ended up on the disabled list, of course, injuries are always a big part of the news. One of the players that hit the disabled list for, I believe, the first time in his career was Doug Justin Verlander of the Detroit Tigers. This is somebody, a pitcher that people looked at and said, hey, maybe this is the year he kind of bounces back. Last year was an aberration. He's going to go back to being a, a dominant starting pitcher again. He's on the DL. Are, are we worried? Is, is, is Justin Verlander ever going to be what he once was? Am I worried about the injury? No, because Justin Verlander won't be on any of my teams. I mean, it's not its not just last year we're worried about. The year before that, he was not good. I mean, he, he got wins the last two years because he took them out. I'll give him that. He's a warrior as far as he's going to battle you, and he's going to do everything he can. But he just doesn't have the, the command or the stuff that he did before. So he's turning I, – I, I think – Carlos Zambrano was similar where he he was dominant for a while. Verlander was much better. But then then you just kind of turned into this innings eater type. I'm afraid. I think that's what Justin Verlander is now. If he stays healthy, he's an innings eater type. Going to still get you decent strikeouts and some wins, but he's not an ace, and I don't think he ever will be again. What do you think, Jake? Is that on the mark? (laughs) Well, if you haven't learned anything, it's always about me. It's always me. It's just what it is. (laughs) And, And Doug, because you know where this is going, Doug. Tout Wars, uh, I I was like you. I didn't own him anywhere. I didn't want him anywhere. Tout Wars X has said, oh, you know what? You get an opening day starter for 7 bucks. Hey, he's not the opening day starter anymore. Uh, he's not yeah. even looking like it. I'm with him. I'm with you on the, for the same reasons, Doug. And I was just going with the value of getting five starts out of him for April in the league setup that we're in. Uh, and that was really the only value I was hoping for because, like Doug said, it's not just last year. This has been kind of similar to a Tim Linscombe. It's been a couple years after year after year. Well, it's been on a downward plane. So I, I think the best of what we saw of Verlander is a long ways gone. Uh, I love the Carlos Zambrano comparison. I never thought about that. But I think that's a great comparison. Now, Jake, talk about another pitcher that has an injury, but he's still pitching. He's kind of pitching through it. Um, Masahiro Tanaka. He said his velocity is down because he's changed his pitching style. I guess he's, he's not throwing, he's throwing more two seamers. I think he said he's not, so he's not hitting the velocity that he once did because he's changed his pitching style. Um, I don't really find anything in there to not worry me. Uh, when a pitcher starts talking about things like that, about changing his style or changing his pitch selection or whatever, 
it really begins to worry me. Am, am I just am, am I being paranoid on that one, or am I on the mark? Uh, no, I you know there's a ton of upside with him. We're talking about somebody who was potentially most leagues top five starter before the concerns and the injuries from last year. He was in the Cy Young conversation, so we know the potential is there. Here's my thing: if he was said he was getting rid of the split finger, which would eliminate pretty much most of his value. I'd feel a lot more comfortable because that's the pitch I'm concerned about. I don't care about throwing more two-seamers. I don't I don't care if he's throwing more fastballs, more change. It's the split finger. And when it's the talking about his arm and a split finger, and that's the one that usually does the most damage for pitchers and leads to surgeries and injuries. I just – I, I like him. I love the upside. I think as long as you have him, you're getting a top 10 starter out of him. I just don't know how long you're going to have him for. And that's like what you said. It scares me. So, I, you know, I have to take him in t- inside the top 30. That's right around where I'll start considering him uh, in drafts. But, you know, I'm just not going to pay more than that. And you could have him gone, done and gone by the season for May, honestly. What do you think, Doug? Well, you know, uh, on on the plane ride back from Tout Wars, the pilot said he was just going to try some new things and do things differently, take a different route, maybe, you know, fly the plane left. (laughs) Yeah, maybe lives aren't in danger with Masahiro Tanaka, but you don't, at the major league level, just decide you're going to change the whole way you pitch. Besides the obvious health risks, if, if this is true, then we're talking about a new pitcher and we don't know anything about him. So... Uh, he's not on any of my teams this year just because of the injury risk, but I don't see how this ends good if he's really going to change the way he pitches. You don't do that at the major league level. No, and when you start seeing or when I start seeing that, it, as I said before, it, it just worries me. And I begin to, yeah, is this going to be? Is this guy going to be a different pitcher? Is he going to be as effective? There's such a fine balance to getting hitters out in the major leagues, and could he upset that balance by by? changing something fundamentally with how he pitches it tells um, me he's already probably hurting could very well be and that might not and nobody might be talking about that but if that be the case then there's definitely something to worry about here doug going to talk about one more player i'm going to start with you a guy who received an awful lot of hype when uh, the diamondbacks signed him in the offseason yasmani tomas big power hitter from cuba uh, came to Diamondbacks camp and they installed him at third base. It went badly. Now they moved him to the outfield. It looks like they're trying to move him to right field. Basically, they sent him to the minor leagues because he wasn't hitting at the major league level and his defense was not good either. Um, what's up here? Is is he going to be back or is maybe they overestimate him when they gave him that money? Well, I think, you know, I'm I'm not an expert on international leagues, Cuban leagues, Japan leagues, but Tim McLeod didn't seem that all that excited about uh, Tomas, and usually Tim McLeod knows what's going on out there. So I'm going to defer to Tim McLeod. If he's not all excited about this guy, I just don't see it. I think, yeah, from what I've seen, there's power there, but, you know, at what expense? He's going to get called back up sometime here in the next month, most likely. There's going to be a little bit of value, but I just don't think it's anything that that people expect from the next big Cuban sensation. Jake, what do you think? On uh, the same boat is the fact that we were already talking about when he was coming over before he was even signed that this was going to be somebody that's going to draw the comparisons to Jose Abreu, but isn't Jose Abreu. He has possibly similar power, but he'll never have the average. So we were already talking about him being a 250, 260 guy. 
that was his ceiling. And then we saw how much he struggled. And obviously, if you're not hitting the ball, it doesn't matter how much power you have. So uh, what Doug says, the perfect way to say is when he finally does come up, we probably will see him at some point, even though Arizona's outfield is extremely crowded. Uh, But if he gets up and let's say he has 25 home run power, but what does that come at? Does that mean you're going to get Mike Zunino? Because if you get Mike Zunino, uh, that's not really that much help, especially at outfield. You could get away with that at catcher but not in the outfield. So I don't know that necessarily he's going to have a ton of value. And I think that if he goes crazy because of where he's hitting, remember the PCL, uh, you know, you made the note of it, you know, that always helps numbers. So he, you know, comes up and all of a sudden he's hitting 300 down there with a ton of power. People are going to blow their waiver budget or, you know, and then I would just stay away and not overrate him because those numbers look great again. Yeah, and you mentioned Jose Abreu. What people forgot about Jose Abreu was he didn't put up good numbers in Cuba. He put up incredible numbers in Cuba. He was there were seasons he was hitting four thirty, four forty, and you know somebody comes over here that hit that's hit two ninety five or three ten in Cuba. Hey, that's great. But Abreu was say he was hitting four twenty five, four thirty, four just ridiculous numbers. So it was an unfair comparison at the time. Plus Abreu didn't strike out a lot over there and he had a really good batting eye. And those were things I did not see with Yasmani Tomas. And I think we're, we're kind of starting to, to see some of that as he tries to adapt to the major league uh, game. Jake, anything, anybody else you want to talk about this spring, somebody who's, who's really impressed you or maybe has kind of dropped down your, uh, your, your standing a little bit. Uh, you know, I'll throw out the one that has impressed me that we can actually talk about, but I'll throw out just a couple names real quick just for people to go look at is I think that Betts has looked really good. I think Wilmer Flores, people forget that he has a ton of power, and the Mets are obviously just giving him the shortstop job. Uh, and then Pomerantz, you know, we talk about he's looked really good. But the two, a hitter and a pitcher, I think Granderson is, still has a little bit of value left in him. And don't forget, he's got, the thing with him is he's got his hitting coach back. And it looks like it's already taken a change. This is one of those situations where I was talking about something I'm going to watch in spring training is he looks a little bit better. That swing looks a little bit more crisp like it used to when he was at the Yankees. He's not going to be a 40 home run hitter, but somebody who maybe won't kill you in average, get that average back to 240 maybe so you can live with it, but it possibly provide 25 to 30 home runs. Uh, this is somebody who you're going to get as your fifth outfielder in leagues. And then, I've been on him for years. You talked about a pitcher before that we were talking about. I think Trevor Bauer, and the reason I say that is because this is the biggest thing. I know he got destroyed in his one outing, which looks really bad, but if you look at him, one walk for all of those strikeouts he piled up, and that's the biggest thing with Bauer, and that's always been his biggest problem is if he could just control his stuff. And if you only have one walk with your Trevor Bauer, that's huge for what he did in the spring. And that's why I'm buying into him is we might have somebody who could finish in the top 50 for starting pitchers this year. Doug, anybody that uh, impressed you or he pressed you this spring? Well, I can't even focus because he said the names Trevor Power and Drew Pomerantz, and and those are the pitchers that I've been talking about all spring. And the reason why I don't, I, other than two two semi aces, I don't I don't buy any more pitching until late. Uh, Pomerantz is in the same situation as Kendall Graveman in a great home ballpark, but we're talking about Drew Pomerantz, who actually has the pedigree and the talent to really break out. Way back in the beginning of Rotor Experts, I had the opportunity, we had a show, and we actually got to interview two pitchers before the Major League Draft. The first pitcher we interviewed was Chris Sale. He ended up getting drafted, I think, number 13 that year. 
The next pitcher we got to interview, Drew Pomerantz. He went, I think it was number seven. He went from before Chris Sale. So he's that got that kind of pedigree. And I, I think he's going to be a number three, number four type fantasy pitcher this year. And a lot of, a lot of people are going to win leagues by ignoring all, the, not spending all the money on pitching early and just going with Drew Pomerantz. Wow, a lot, uh, lot of good information, and I hope everybody was kind of taking some notes because uh, waiver wire season is going to be upon us. We've had a lot of injuries, some, some guys sent down that maybe we didn't necessarily expect were going to be sent down, and some of the names that uh, Doug and Jake have talked about over the last uh, hour and 15 minutes are names that you need to know when you head to the waiver wire because they may be more than just a short-term fix. These may be players that carry you literally through your entire fantasy season and maybe the reason that you win the league. Jake, uh, if people want to keep up with you, how do they do it? Uh, Twitter, Facebook, and uh, website. Uh, I don't have Facebook. I actually got rid of that. I'm getting curmudgeon and old, so get off my lawn. I, I got rid of that one. Uh, Twitter, at All In Kid. It's all one word, no spaces or anything like that, or underscores. And then, yeah, as I mentioned, over at Roto Experts, every Tuesday and Thursday, I actually find an occasional article over at Sports Grid, too, and even the Fantasy Sports Network, some video with Pat Mayo. So pretty much look out there and you can find me. Jake, I cannot thank you enough for being on the show tonight. I especially appreciate on the short notice you coming in a little bit earlier to talk about that, that Kimbrel deal. That was very much appreciated and uh, can't, cannot thank you enough. Doug, uh, anything else to add before we close? Well, I'd just like to let Jake know that my condolences card is in the mail. I feel bad about kind of teasing him for all the injuries <laughs> I, early. I can, I, can so tell, the, I can tell. The card is in the mail, Jake. You sound, I appreciate that. <laughs> I'll, I'll frame it and make sure you leave enough room for me to put the other names that are going to be eventually on there. <laughs> very nice. Well, folks, that will just about do it for this week's episode of the Sunday Night Sandlot. Our very special thanks to the all-in kid, Jake Seely of Roto Experts and the Fantasy Sports Network for joining us tonight. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'd love to see you again next week. Until then, for Jake Seely and Doug Anderson, this is your host, Buck Davidson, saying somebody start the team bus and cue the post-game show. This one's in the history books. We'll see you next week, everybody.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.